Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to take a moment, let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. This week, our pastor of Care Ministries, Craig Somerville, will continue our series in Revelation, and that series is titled The Incomparable Christ. And then coming up on November 13th, we have another newcomer's lunch on site at the church after the 11 a.m. service. And this is a great opportunity to meet the staff, hear more about the church, and connect with others that are relatively new to the community. It's a free event, but we do ask that you register ahead of time on Realm or at southviewchurch.com. Gives us an idea of numbers for the food. And the best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint. And you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you. And you can find an online connection card at the bottom of the viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, May your hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites you to bring all that you are and all that you're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Well, hello, friends. To those in the room and to those online, welcome. It's good to be together to worship in song, to open God's word, and uh, soon to come to the table and to be fed uh, from our Lord. This week, we had a a fire drill here at the church, and uh, if you've ever been a part of a fire drill, it kind of catches you off guard a little bit. I was uh, in my office actually preparing for this teaching this weekend. And uh, the fire bell starts going off and kind of wakes you up, right, from what you're doing. And uh, as that alarm is going, you kind of take a moment to think, okay, what's going on right now? Is that a fire alarm? Okay, yes, it is. Now, what am I supposed to do, right? I'm supposed to be doing something. And uh, is it a drill or is it real? That's the other question, right? And if it's real, like, what do I need to grab before I go? Uh, But when that alarm bell goes off, you know, you realize you have to get up from your desk and head outside. So uh, all of our staff who was in the building and others who were around, we made our way outside to the muster point and began to gather. And uh, I realized that people respond differently to fire drills. You know, I got up, I kind of, you know, grabbed my coat because it was a little cold, and then I went out and didn't really think much afterwards. Others, you know, grabbed different things on their way. I won't give away any names, but, you know, somebody actually stayed in the building. So if it was actually a real, you know, emergency, that wouldn't have ended so well. Uh, Another one of our staff came out holding a cup of coffee. Um, He's a taller guy, silver hair. He's on stage every so often. Um, I didn't give away names, but, you know, he was clutching that cup of coffee. That was really important to him to make sure that he had that on the way out. But when you hear those, you know, the the fire alarm go off, it kind of it wakes you up, it alerts you to something, and it it causes a reaction or a response, right? We're supposed to take action in those times. The passage that we're in today, we're continuing our series in Revelation, and we're in uh, Revelation 8 to 11, and it's the seven trumpets. And as we look at these seven trumpets in Revelation, they're kind of like a fire drill. The trumpet blasts, and it's a blast to call us to attention, Uh, They are trumpet blasts of warning of things to come. 
And, uh, and it is kind of like a fire drill, so to speak, in that these, these trumpet blasts go off and we are to pay attention. And so as we begin to look into these seven trumpets, I want to just, uh, I, I want to ask a question that as these trumpets are sounded, what might Jesus be trying to bring to your attention today? As we hear these trumpet blasts, in the same way like a fire alarm might go off, you know, what might Jesus be trying to bring to your attention today? What might he desire to speak to you about today? And so I mentioned we are in Revelation uh, 8 to 11, so four chapters. Uh, there's a lot in this passage, and I'm just going to put out a disclaimer. We're not going to be able to get into everything. As Clyde mentioned last week, we're now into the apocalyptic literature here in Revelation. There's, there's signs, there's symbols, there's images, there's numbers, there's flashbacks and echoes of the Old Testament. There's all kinds of stuff happening in this passage, and we're just not going to have time to get every, everything in. So my hope is we'll kind of take a high-level view, we'll touch down on a few points, and again, asking this question, Jesus, what do you want to bring to our attention uh, today? as we look at this passage of Scripture. So, with all of that in mind, let's look at Revelation 8, and we'll start with verses uh, 1 to 5. And remember, friends, this is the Word of God. So, Revelation 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And Clyde mentioned last week, we got through six of the seven seals, and the seventh seal begins this passage. The seventh seal was opened. There was silence in heaven for half an hour, almost like this calm before the storm, uh, a holy breath that's being taken before we dive into this passage. And so just on that note, let's just pray right now and invite Jesus to speak as we're going to read on. So, Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this revelation that you gave to John, revealing things about you. And we invite you to reveal yourself to us today. That as we look at these trumpet blasts that are about to be sounded, that you would help us to pay attention to the things that you want us to pay attention to. And so, Holy Spirit, open our ears to hear what you have to say. Open our hearts to receive from you. And open our will to respond to you today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so let's read on, verse 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And so this begins our passage today. The prayers of the saints rising to God in heaven. And it might be echoes of, of the sermon from last week. One of the prayers that was prayed from the saints was, How long, O Lord? How long must we suffer? How long must we wait until our blood is avenged, right? When, we're, when are you going to act and respond was the prayers of the saints last week. And maybe it's those prayers that are rising to God, and it's about time that he's going to step in and take action. And so we see this angel taking uh, this golden censer, which 
I've got a dog, and I have this image of a, a holy chuck it, just ready to chuck it down to earth as he picks up the, the prayers of the saints and the incense, and he's about to toss something to the earth. And it says, the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder and rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And it's like this intersection between the holiness of heaven and life on earth, and something's about to happen. This, this, this holy collision is going to take place. And so we read on, verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And we don't have time to read through the whole passage, so what I'm going to do is kind of summarize these seven trumpets that are sounded. We're going to look at sort of an outline of, of this passage and touch on these seven trumpets and see what's taking place. But just, again, keep in mind this image that each trumpet, when it's blasted, is like a, a warning from heaven. God calling our attention to something. And Jesus, what are you trying to bring to our attention today? So the first trumpet sounds in verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet, and it was said it was followed by hail and fire mixed with blood, and a third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. That was trumpet number one. Trumpet number two in verse 8, the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. More destruction, more punishment. Another trumpet sounds. The third trumpet is in verse 10. And it says that in the third trumpet, when it was sounded, the angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water, and those rivers and waters became bitter. And it says that, uh, that many people died as a result of the bitter water. Fourth trumpet, verse 12. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining. Likewise, a third of the night so darkness came over the earth. So there we have the first four trumpets in rapid succession. And then look at verse 13. Then I, John, looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So if those first four trumpets weren't bad enough, we have this image of an eagle crying out to John, woe, 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 there's more to come. And he specifically says, woe to those who dwell on the earth. And that's a phrase in Revelation and here in this passage that shows up a couple of times. And it's referring to those who stand against the ways and purposes of God. Those who stand in the way of the inbreaking kingdom of God. Those who dwell on the earth are earth dwellers living life on earth's terms according to the ways of the world. And in contrast, in this passage, there's another group of people identified, and they're those with the seal of God on their forehead. And so here in this passage and, and throughout Revelation, we have sort of these two groups of people. Those who dwell on the earth and those with the seal of God on their forehead. And these angels are sounding these trumpets to warn those who dwell on the earth, to call them to attention, to pay attention. And he says, more is going to come. 
And so we have the fifth trumpet in chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. And to summarize, when the fifth trumpet is sounded by the angel, a star falls from heaven. This star is given keys to a bottomless pit. He unlocks the bottomless pit. Smoke rises up. And following the smoke, locusts would come out, these demonic locusts from the bottomless pit. These locusts were given power like scorpions. And there's a full description in verses 7 to 11 of what these locusts looked and felt like and the the kind of impact they had. They were nasty creatures. And these locusts were given power like scorpions. They were given power to harm those who don't have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were given power to harm those who dwell on the earth. They could torment, but they could not kill. So these locusts were coming to bring suffering and pain and punishment and for a limited amount of time. That's trumpet number five. Trumpet number six. So the first woe came in trumpet number five. The second woe comes with trumpet number six. And then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. And what happens next was four angels were released to kill one-third of mankind. It goes on to say that 200 million troops on horses were sent to bring pain and punishment, suffering and death. From these 200 million troops on horses, they would release plagues, plagues of fire and smoke and sulfur, which would kill a third of mankind. Something we need to keep in mind, the, the, the number a third has shown up a number of times now, a third of the earth, a third of mankind, a third of the, the sun was darkened, a third, a third, a third. It's not a literal number that we're to pay attention to, but it's symbolic that a significant amount of pain and suffering and torment and death would come. So those are the six trumpets. And then look at the summary verse after six trumpets have been blown. Chapter 9, verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. And so in response to these six trumpets, we're maybe a little bit surprised when it says that those who dwell on the earth, the rest of mankind, did not repent. To repent is to turn from one direction to go to another, right? When the fire alarm went off in my office, I repented from the work at my desk and I got up and turned and went in a different direction direction. And we might expect that after these six trumpets have been blown, maybe some of those who dwell on the earth would repent and turn to God, recognizing that things are not, like things are kind of out of control and there's somebody who's in control. Maybe they would repent. But we see that they didn't. The other thing that we see in these six trumpets is there's echoes of the book of Exodus and the plagues that were unleashed on Egypt when God was preparing to deliver the Israelites out of the hand of the Egyptians and Pharaoh. And so when God sent those plagues in Exodus, what did we see happen? He sent plague after plague after plague. And some of them sound like some of these punishments that were released here in Revelation, right? Locusts, darkness, um, blood, suffering, death. And when these plagues were unleashed in the book of Exodus, what we saw happening there was Pharaoh's heart remained hard. And the Egyptians, you know, looked like maybe they would soften and then 
would step down with this hardness of heart. And so there's these echoes of Exodus happening here in Revelation and echoes of the Pharaoh with his hard heart in a similar way. Those who dwell on the earth did not repent. So let's keep moving here um, after these six trumpets. So what we see next in Revelation 10 and into 11 is a bit of an interlude that takes place. And this interlude is between trumpet six and trumpet seven. And so what we're waiting for is to hear the seventh trumpet blown, but we have a chapter and a half of a couple of different scenes that have nothing to do with the trumpets, or so it seems. And in this interlude, we have two images, which we don't have time to dive into in great detail, but these two images are the first, the angel and the little scroll in chapter 10, verses 1 to 11. And then the second is what's called two witnesses or referred to as two witnesses in Revelation 11, 1 to 13. And these two visions, these two scenes that, that happen next, they're right in the middle of the book of Revelation. And a, one commentator kind of points out this reality that these, these images, these, these scenes, these visions are words to the church. They're words to those with the seal of God on their forehead. They're words to those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And in the midst of the, the, the chaos of these six trumpets so far, we have this word to the church, to believers. What are we to do in the midst of all of this? And so we're going to just move past the angel and the little scroll and just look really quickly at the two witnesses in Revelation 11, uh, verses uh, just looking at verses 3 and 4 to start. So let's, let's look there. And I have to turn the page in my Bible because I am not following along here. Here we go. So verse 3, chapter 11. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And so there's a few words that I've highlighted there in those two verses that I just want to draw your attention to. And just to start is the two lampstands. Where have we seen lampstands before in Revelation? Back near the beginning, right? The lampstands, there were seven lampstands which represented the churches. And Jesus was in the middle of the lampstands, right? This promise that I am with you in the midst of all of what you're going through, I'm with you. And these seven lampstands were referred to the churches. And then we had the letters to the churches. So each lampstand represented a church or a region where there was a church and the words to that church. And so here we have two lampstands, which would cause us to think this is maybe a word to the church, but why only two? Well, one commentator pointed out that those two lampstands might refer to the two faithful churches that were commended for enduring and for not giving up their faith and for even laying down their lives for the sake of the gospel. And so we have these two lampstands representing the church, and then we have what the church is supposed to do, right? I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy, which is to proclaim the good news, to proclaim the truth about God, to point people to Jesus. The church is to prophesy, and they are to prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth, Sackcloth is a sign of repentance. It's a symbol of repentance. 
And in the Old Testament, often when the people of God were called to repent and, uh, of their sin and to turn from their idols and return to God, they were to dress in sackcloth and put ashes on their heads. And, and this sign of repentance, a visible demonstration of turning from one direction towards the living God, the one true God. And so here we have this word to the church that we are to proclaim the good news about Jesus. We are to be clothed in repentance And then there's this image of the olive trees, two olive trees, which echoes back to the book of Zechariah, where Zechariah the prophet received words from angels, and an angel appeared to him and talked about two olive trees. And then in the context of that passage, one of the verses I just want to highlight is Zechariah 4, verse 6. And it says, this is Zechariah speaking, Then he said to me, then the angel said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. These two olive trees are represented of the filling, the empowering of the spirit, uh, otherwise a word called anointed, anointed in the spirit of God. And in that passage in Zechariah, it goes on to talk about these olive trees having branches that would receive the oil of God, the anointing of God. And so not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So this word to the church, to these two witnesses in Revelation 11, is that they are to proclaim the good news, they are to be clothed in repentance, they are to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live on mission for him. If we read on in this image of the two witnesses, let me just summarize it. It goes on to talk about uh, when they finished their testimony or when they finished prophesying, they would be put to death much like Jesus was. And after being put to death, those who dwell on the earth would think that they've won because God's faithful had been put down, put to death. And so they would think that they'd won the battle But after those who dwell on the earth thought they'd won, what we see happening next is the breath of life from God would fill those faithful witnesses and they would be resurrected, brought back to life, which would then cause those who dwell on the earth to maybe rethink, did we actually win? And look at verse 13 of chapter 11. At that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. And so what we see happening in the response of the people, those who dwell on the earth, again, there was punishment, there was, uh, there was death, but nine-tenths of the city responded and gave glory to God. Where repentance was lacking earlier, we see Repentance happening now to those who dwell on the earth. So that ends the interlude, and then we come back to the seventh trumpet. I know you're all wondering, what happened to the seventh trumpet? I'm glad you asked. So let's look at the seventh trumpet that the angel blows in chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God. In a shocking twist, we see that after the seventh trumpet was blown, judgment was not announced, but worship was. 
The kingdom of God had triumphed over the kingdoms of this world, and the response in heaven was worship. So we've just kind of raced through Revelation 8 to 11, and I want to come back to that question I asked earlier. What might Jesus want to bring to our attention today? What might Jesus want to bring to your attention today? So a few sort of summaries or observations, just a couple of points for us to consider on that question of what might Jesus want to bring to our attention today. And these are coming out of the things that I felt he was drawing to my attention as I was spending time in this passage. And the first thing that came to mind is the incomparable reign of Christ. The incomparable reign of Christ. This passage just reminds me that God is in control, that his kingdom will ultimately triumph over the kingdoms of this world. And when things seem out of control, when the world seems like it's in crisis, when it looks like evil is going to win, when young people in South Korea are killed, when wars break out, when plagues, when you know, all kinds of stuff happen in the world that just seems wrong or, or just out of control, I'm reminded that God is in control. Jesus reigns. He sits on his throne, and ultimately his kingdom will triumph over the kingdoms of this world. And if it's not quite yet, it will be one day. Just like we prayed earlier, your kingdom come, your will be done. This passage is an answer to that prayer that the kingdom of God will come in power and Jesus will reign on his throne and I can trust him even when things seem out of control. And as we consider the incomparable reign of Christ, it might lead us to a response like repentance. The thread through this passage is that uh, those who dwell on the earth, you know, they didn't repent, they didn't repent, they didn't repent. But at the end of the passage, we see nine-tenths of the city responding and giving glory to God. They heard the trumpet blasts. They recognized that God was in control. And they gave him the worship that he's due. My hunch is those of us here in this room or listening online, many of us are probably not among the camp of those who dwell on the earth We are followers of Jesus. We're children of God. We're citizens of his kingdom. And so what might repentance look like for us, for those of us with the seal of God on our foreheads, if we are to clothe ourselves in sackcloth as a sign of repentance, what might that look like? So I was thinking about this passage and this spectrum of those who dwell on the earth, unrepentant, living life on their own terms, in their own ways, maybe rebellious towards God or resistant to him. You've got that one side of the the spectrum. And on the other side of the spectrum, you've got faithful witnesses willing to lay down their lives for the good news of Jesus. And my hunch is that most of us here are somewhere on that spectrum. And I know myself, I'm not sure if I'm on the end of, am I ready and willing to lay down my life for Jesus? There might be some things in my life that would get in the way of that kind of faithfulness. And that's the invitation to repentance that I think Jesus might want to draw to our attention today. Basically asking the question, what's getting in the way of you living a life of full devotion to Jesus? What's holding you back from being a faithful, true witness? What's holding you back from being willing to lay down your life for the king? 
So the incomparable reign of Christ, God is in control, leads us to repentance. And basically to sum that up, the question might be, who's calling the shots in your life? If God is in control, that must mean that I'm not. And I know often I try to live as if I am in control, and that's where repentance kicks in. So what might repentance look like for you? A second thought or summary out of this passage is uh, to just draw our attention to the incomparable heart of Christ. The incomparable heart of Christ. As we see throughout this passage, there's threads of mercy and grace. As much as we see punishment and torment and destruction and death, there's also these threads of mercy and grace. That one number, a fraction, a third, a third, a third, a third means two-thirds were left. Two-thirds were left as witnesses to this judgment that was unleashed from heaven. And the hope that I believe that Jesus has is that all would come to him, all would come to repentance, right? Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus' heart is for all of humanity to come to him. And through this passage, we see him patiently waiting for all of humanity to respond to him and to turn to him and to turn away from the things that are distracting and the things, the pursuits that they're living in and and fully commit their lives to him. There's this incomparable heart of Christ that we see in this passage. And out of that incomparable heart of Christ, the response that we might have is that it should lead us to live on mission. Those words to the, the, the church, the, the scene with the angel and the little scroll and the two witnesses, it's not about us trying harder and, and sort of living on mission out of obligation, but really to let the, the heart of Jesus fill us to the point where we're willing to live our lives as influencers to the people around us. God's heart is for all to come to him, and he needs us to help lead people to him. Our mission here at Southview is to lead as many as possible to passionately follow Jesus. Are you living your life on mission, with the heart of Jesus filling your heart so that you see people the way he sees them, with the desire to welcome them into his family and into his kingdom? There's lots we could say that talk about, you know, what would it look like to live on mission? But just right out of this passage is the idea of, of words and actions, right? The, the two witnesses were to prophesy, to proclaim God's word, to pro- proclaim the goodness of God, the good news about Jesus to the world around them. And so that is part of living on mission is to, to declare the good news of God and to point people to Jesus with our words. But it's also to live it out in action, Right? to be clothed in sackcloth, walking lives of humility and repentance, following the lead of our King Jesus and letting others see the difference that he's made in our lives. And so we live our lives in front of people with the hope that they'll be drawn to Jesus. And that image of the olive trees to me is powerful, that we don't do it in our own strength, but we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're empowered by him and anointed by him to go out and to live lives on mission. And then as we see those two witnesses that were ultimately willing to lay down their lives for the good news, maybe we're not literally laying down our lives for Jesus, but maybe we're self-living lives of self-sacrifice, you know, sacrificial love to those around us, laying down our lives, so to speak, to serve 
and to demonstrate the love of Jesus to the world around us. So what might Jesus want to bring to your attention today? As these trumpets have been blasted, as God's been speaking through his word, what's he trying to speak to you about? Let's just close with a moment of silent reflection on that question. Jesus, what are you speaking to me about from this passage? What are you trying to draw to my attention? And just a couple of prompts as you're thinking about that. Is it you need to be reminded of the incomparable reign of Christ? Do you need to be reminded that God is in control? Are there things in your life that maybe are getting in the way of a life of full devotion to Jesus and you need to turn from those things? You need to be reminded of the incomparable heart of Christ, that his heart longs for all to come to him. And are there people in your life that maybe you need to have a change of heart towards? What would it look like to live a life on mission for Jesus, reaching out to a lost and dying world, letting your life speak to those around you? And as you're pondering these things, We're going to come to the table. And as we come to the table, we're reminded that this is an invitation from the Father that he wants to feed us, that we don't respond out of our own strength, but he can give us spiritual food and spiritual strength. And so we're reminded as we come to the table and we see the bread that this is Christ's body, which is broken for us. And this cup represents his blood, which was shed for us for forgiveness of sin, and welcome into the family of God as citizens in the kingdom of heaven. And so I invite you to take your communion elements, the wafer off the top, just peel that back. And once you've got that wafer ready, let's take together. Friends, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take and receive from him. And then if you could peel back the next layer to the cup. And we'll take the cup together. And friends, be reminded that this cup represents Jesus' blood, which was shed for you for forgiveness of sin, a welcome into his family as citizens in his kingdom. Let's take together. And I'm going to invite you to stand and let me just pray and then we're going to respond as this passage led us towards worship. We're going to respond in a song of worship. But let's stand, let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this spiritual food that you've given us. We thank you for Jesus. And we invite you to fill us today, to feed us, to nourish us and strengthen us for the task of living out the calling you've placed on our lives as those who have the seal of God on our foreheads, the protected ones, the saints, your dearly loved children. Feed us for the task of following you. Help us to hear your voice today and in the days to come. Help us to follow your lead into the things that you're calling us to and help us to live lives of worship. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
couple of reminders as we go from here. Next weekend, we're having a baptism weekend, and there's a class November 3rd. If you would uh, like to know more about baptism or if you're interested in baptism, please sign up for that class. It's an online class, November 3rd. We'll be continuing in our series next week, The Incomparable Christ. And um, as we go, let me just speak this word of benediction over us. May the incomparable Christ lead you in the days to come. May you follow him in humble obedience. May the incomparable love of Christ capture your heart and fill your life. May his heart for the world motivate you to love and serve the people around you in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are dismissed.